What's going on, everybody? My name is Brian Cook, uh, one of the co-hosts of the No Mean Soccer Podcast. Don't worry, your ears are not deceiving you. This is actually me. We are recording alongside me, and I haven't got to say this in a while, and I promise it's not going to sound crazy. I haven't been practicing, but from the heart of Texas, it is Richard Rainwater. Richard, uh, how are you? Oh, doing fantastic. Ringing in the new year. It's uh, It only got to about 72 today, so... You know, we're uh, bunkering in, getting ready for the freeze that's inevitably coming. You know, Texas must just be so hard because I took my dogs out this morning and it was 22. So, but you were in the state of Indiana. We tried to hook up there, but we were both so busy with the holidays, but you were actually in the state of Indiana. Was it weird being back? Uh, it was interesting. It was good to see a lot of a lot of people that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, it's always good to see the city. You know, especially around the holidays, it's just got a different vibe. So, mm-hmm. you know, being downtown and uh, I was able to catch uh, Christmas math downtown and, you know, see my family and all that stuff. So always good. Always good to be back in the great state of India. Well, Richard, uh, first, I want to just hit the point that I apologize that we took so long to do another episode. It just scheduling and everything else with the off season, everything's difficult and it was extremely difficult in the month of December given the holidays, but we are getting back in the swing of things. And Richard, we have a roster to talk about. It's the off season. The team has been making moves. Uh, I want to go through. Go ahead. That it's the hot stove season. It is the hot stove season. So I'm going to go through and just read off position by position. What we're looking at. And then uh, if you want to jump, I don't know where you want to jump in, but we can just jump right in. So um, goalkeeper wise, we're bringing back uh, uh, the team's bringing back Evan Newton and Jordan Farr. Defender wise, uh, I'm going to start with the guys that are being brought back. Ioze, Patty Barrett, uh, Navelle Hackshaw, Mitch Osman, and Cara Wimet. Midfielder wise, we got Drew Connor, which is the most recent uh, announcement. Uh, Lucas Farias, uh, Tyler Gibson, Macaulay King, uh, Kenny Walker, and Matt Watson. And at the forward position, Ilya Illich and Tyler Pasher. We do have three new boys added to the boys in blue. Defender wise, Connor Antley, who comes as the League One Defender of the Year. Uh, he was actually a transfer, which while, uh, while you're talking, I will bring up the interesting tidbit about that if people didn't catch that. But, uh, Connor Antley, uh, as a defender, we have Nick Moon, which I was, uh, telling Richard before we started recording. Nick Moon is by far my most enjoyable, uh, name because it sounds like he should probably be an 80s professional wrestler. I digress. But, uh, at the forward position from the, uh, defunct? Ottawa Fury, uh, Carl Hayworth, uh, comes in to, uh, give some more firepower to that position. So Richard, I don't know where your initial thoughts are, but where do you want to jump right in? Well, I think it was good to see a proven goal scorer added up front. You know, that was by far our biggest frustration throughout last season was we have a team that can defend with the best of them. We have goalkeepers that can stand on their head but we can't seem to finish those chances. And so adding in uh, that firepower in front of goal is going to be absolutely crucial. And then seeing the young guns from League One making that step up, uh, that's kind of, I think, what we all hoped 
would happen with League One is that those players would get an opportunity to start there and then take that next step and kind of move up a level. And, you know, these players received awards and accolades at the end of the season for a reason. So, you know, Antley especially is going to just add even more good, solid depth to an already stacked defense. And uh, Nick Moon, you know, highlights of him, uh, fantastic player on the ball, fantastic player off the ball. So I, I've been very impressed with the moves that they've made so far this year. Well, and the, the note I wanted to bring up about Antley signing was actually the fact that he was, I think, technically the first player signed by a championship team from a League One team where it was there was a transfer fee involved. Um, I Jeff Reuter on Twitter, who writes for The Athletic, actually had the number. I think it was $6,000. Don't quote me, which... In the, in the world that we live in with the sport that we, uh, you know, watch and support, uh, especially when you come anywhere close to comparing that to a European number, um, that probably is like, do- uh, cents for most teams. But to have a team in the United States in the technical lower divisions of the sport actually spend money on a player to get him from one team to another, you know, that $6,000 or whatever the figure actually is, that money could pay for, you know, a handful of jerseys, could pay for vending machine, vending machine, vending costs at the stadium, um, for Tormenta next year. So that, that couldn't go to help fund other areas of the team. And then the money that they would spend on that can go somewhere else. So we're seeing in a weird way, um, we're seeing Indy 11 actually kind of set trends, which is baffling or just very unique to see this season. But I, I definitely agree with everything you said. I think all these signings, the new signings make sense. Um, the one thing that I've been happy with is we've seen such a strong, big group of the core come back. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that they all obviously want to play for Martin Rennie. Uh, who signed his two-year, I think, two-year deal. I wouldn't be shocked if it was two-year with an option for a third, but uh, signed his two-year deal. They obviously want to come back and play for the guy, but then a lot of that helps with the fact that your new signings don't have to be pressured into getting into a pseudo-complicated system that Martin Rennie might play for a common soccer player coming into the team. So your Connor Antleys, Nick Moons, and your Hayworths all have the ability to go out there and start from day one, but you don't have to play them right away. And I definitely think that's going to be a positive when it comes to the beginning of the season because obviously we've seen this roster grow as quickly as it has in the offseason, but then you're not going to have the catch-up game that you normally would be playing and this team is used to playing in the preseason. Yeah, and... That time, because if you if you look at the defense, I mean, they, they aren't old, as in, you know, 37, 38, 39, but they are in their 30s, right? So you're starting to see these defenders probably, you know, in the next year, two years, three years. Some of these players currently here are going to start moving on. So it's good to get these young guys in. They get that experience. They get time in the system. And, and it's, it's a good move by Indy 11. So many times in the NASL days, we never saw the team with moves looking to the future. There wasn't a lot of 
foundation building. And what we've seen just through the roster moves this year is they are building a foundation. They're building for the futures, that stability that I think all 11 fans have craved. And it, it's showing in the choices that they're making, bringing, bringing players in. You know, as far as the transfer fee goes, it's exactly what we've been wanting to see. You know, this, this investment from some of the bigger clubs into the smaller teams and the lower leagues that allows them to then reinvest that money. And that's how the cycle starts that really builds the game. And I think settles things down from the uncertainty of the past several years. So hopefully it's a trend that continues to go on because League One has done a fantastic job of developing these guys and they deserve to be compensated for. Well, uh, definitely. And well, and what, because I, especially when the news came out and Antley was moved, um, and uh, if you need more information about League One and even when you go back and listen to stuff uh, involving Connor Antley, check out League One Fun on BGN because they actually had... Obviously, they covered that entire league and followed Antley all last year, but then they had a lot of information on him. And then they also will have covered uh, Nick Moon, who came from Lansing Ignite. But one of the things that I thought about was, I I thought it was very cool, but in the back of my mind, the the you know negative side of my brain that's been plagued by social media and following a sport in this country as extensively as I have. One of the things that I thought of, I was like, you know, it's really cool, but man, I really hope that given the fact that it's USL league one and USL championship, I hope that there wasn't some sort of organized, like, Hey, we should all, you guys are all under the same umbrella. You all should transfer with each other. But then we've also seen, um, and Jason, which I'll have to get his Twitter account, uh, another good off season follow. He's been, uh, sharing a bunch of news about, um, League One players signing. We've, we're starting to also see League One players sign for MLS teams. So you can have that negative thing where you're like, well, you know, it's it's a transfer fee, but it's from one team under a big corporate umbrella to another team under the same corporate um, umbrella. But I really do think that we'll look back at this in even five years from now, we'll look back at this and go, man, that transfer fee was insignificant compared to what it is now. But we'll look back at it and go, that was kind of the turning point for the sport in this country, hopefully, where we'll start to see more interleague and intercountry transfers, where we'll see some of these young guys who are still wanting to play professionally and get the opportunity to play professionally get to move up and, you know, get rewarded for their hard work. Yeah, and we saw it in MLS with the introduction of TAM as really a uh, a force in player contracts and salary cap considerations. And once it was really brought into play, I remember the first couple of transfers, you know, they were still trying to figure out the market. They were still trying to figure out, and there were some players that they were like, well, I don't know if he's overvalued or undervalued because we don't really have a good benchmark. So I think we're going to see the numbers fluctuate. We're definitely going to see them change. They'll definitely inflate with more money's put in. You know, I, I would say that for all the criticism there is about a quote-unquote corporate structure, um, USL is making strides like no other organization has to bringing European-style soccer to the United States. 
and sure, it's under only their umbrella and only their control, but they're the ones that are making positive steps towards Pro-Rel. They're the ones making positive steps towards, you know, player transfers without the weird archaic mechanisms that are involved in MLS. So I, I'm very encouraged to see it. It's never going to be completely what it is in Germany and England and France and other places. But I think USL is on track to get us closer to that point. Oh, definitely. And I, I don't want people to think that I'm I'm that type of negative person, but that was just something in the back of my mind that the entire time, especially right away, I was like, oh, well, and part of that is, while I, I feel like it would be a ludicrous take and a ridiculous take to have, part of that is, that's probably a take someone had on the subject. <laughs> like, it's not from... I've seen it. I've seen it on Twitter. It's, well, it's out like, there. It's, it's not from a place of ridiculousness. That's an honest take that somebody's probably going to have. When in reality, I get it, but we should also see this as a positive thing. I think we all get wrapped up in the idea that, oh, we need to we need to institute pro-rel because blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it works in this country. It would make us better. But in reality, you know, for all intents and purposes, soccer, while it has aged and is, and is hundreds of years old in this country, the way we look at it and the way it's run now was born in 1996. And we can't push it back and forth and try to reconstruct it. So we have to take it and build onto what we have. And I think USL is definitely pushing the envelope and they're doing a lot of things and going to a lot of markets that MLS won't touch. Um, and I, I definitely think that <laughs> I love how this is, this is how we've not been around each other for a while. Richard is we started out talking about the roster. And now we're talking about the landscape of us soccer. <laughs> oh, good Lord. But I, I definitely think that uh, this will be looked at as a positive thing, not only for Indy 11, which we'll talk here uh, later on in the show about the stadium um, and some other topics involved with that. But I, I definitely think this is another, you know, landmark thing. And I hope we get to the point where we're not sitting there still going, man, it's great that they're laying, you know, the foundation and they're really planting their seed. But this is definitely a move where you, you see the Indy 11s investing in the sport and in their team to get to another level that uh, is done in the way that they are used to doing. Absolutely. Now, one interesting name that I saw on there, I know we had conversations about it during the playoffs, the fact that they brought back both Evan Newton and Jordan Farr. So you're Martin Reddy. You're heading into training camp. Do you have a competition for the number one shirt? Here's my thing, and I don't know. It's been so long since we recorded this the last time that I feel like my take now is going to be the same take I would have had if we had. I think we might have discussed this. Have the competition, but I don't see a way that that's not Evan Newton's job to lose. I think what you need to do, what I would do, um, is. I would create more opportunity for Jordan Farr to be rotated in. I think you have to understand 
And we can we can blow it out of proportion and say his performance was MLS worthy. And I think there are some teams that could take a flyer on him as a backup or a backup to their backup or a starting goalkeeper for the USL Championship 2 team. But I think Jordan Farr is the type of person that at that position you can build a team around. I just think that this team has invested too much into Evan Newton to push him off of the boat without at least seeing out because my understanding is Evan Newton was brought right. back on a two year deal. So I just don't know if you, you can have a competition, but I don't know if it's not just Evan Newton's job to lose. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I would like to see them do is something similar to what Cincinnati did where he won the golden gloves uh, two years ago. Uh, but he did it in a platoon style. So he was constantly rotated out. Uh, he was not the only goalkeeper. He wasn't expected to play, you know, 40 some matches because as good as Evan is, he's injury prone. And we've seen it for two years in a row where he gets hurt, he gets injured, he's out for a few games. And I, I think the best case scenario is let these guys run on sort of a platoon. And then if someone gets really hot, like they're cranking out shutouts, then you sort of write the, you ride the hot hand. But their statistics were not that different from each other. There wasn't really a drop-off from one to the other. And so I, I would challenge that your best bet is go on the platoon, have both healthy and ready for the playoffs next year, and then you can make decisions based upon their statistics, how they're doing, how they mesh, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and I, I I think you hit a point really well put, by the way, but I think you hit a point really well. I, I, I think we just saw more of a character come out from Jordan Farr when he took over for Newton when he got injured last year. But I, they're both, A, very good leaders, but B, they're kind of a similar player. So you're really not losing out. And we definitely saw that when Farr got more of a consistent role after Newton went out, but you're really not missing out by not having Jordan Farr in there because I think a healthy Evan Newton um, is pretty similar. And I think I even wrote about this on an article on BGN Written, but I, I feel like while he's injury prone, part of last year was also a mental battle for Evan Newton um, where I think what we saw, and and Jordan Farr had some unbelievable saves, but I think what we saw was I feel like Evan Newton was getting in his own head and was struggling against some of these teams. So I feel like I'm going to be extremely interested to see what early season Evan Newton looks like uh, coming back from injury, especially with how well his replacement did for him. Yeah, and I think you can overcome those mental problems if you're ready by simply laying out some pretty clear expectations. You know, simply saying, okay, Evan, you're going to take the weekend games far, you're taking the week games, you know, or we're going to every third match or every fifth match or something else, we're going to rotate you. You know, I, I think if you lay out a plan and you're open and transparent about it, then it, it, it's keeping him from getting in his own head. And, and what happens too often is there's no communication, there's no clarity and that's when players kind of start to fall off because they don't understand why so for Randy, i think the best thing to do is you can have a competition to figure out who gets the majority of games but whoever it is needs to be 
understanding that they're going to be rotated, both players are going to get some time, and that way you get the best out of both. Exactly. Um, one other aspect, and we kind of touched on it before, but let's touch on the forward position. So they have Illich coming back, which has rumored to be a, a second-year deal. Tyler Pasher was actually outright re-signed. And then, obviously, they brought back or brought in Hayworth from uh, uh, the Ottawa Fury, um, which sounds like his play style. He's another one of those uh, pressing forwards that's, you know, very aggressive, can fight for the ball. Um, Maybe even borderline, ironically, given the fact that uh, I think he is Canadian. Um, but very similar to Pasher too. But one thing that, uh, we saw with the USL website when they published, one of their writers published a piece is, um, one name that has been rumored to be coming back. And it sounds like it's not a matter of if, but when is, uh, Dane Kelly. Um, all indications seem that, uh, Dane Kelly is coming back for the 2020 season. Um, in your opinion, Richard, A, does he fit in well with the forwards, even though, you know, there's a fluid transition for most of Rennie's players? Does he, A, fit in well with the forwards that are already on the team? And B, what does that, what does his signing say to you uh, for what other types of forwards or attacking players that uh, the team still needs to bring in? I think if we said it at the end of the year, it just depends on money. You know, it depends on what kind of value they're getting. Because let's just be totally honest. Kelly was successful coming off the bench. Kelly was successful as a super sub. He was successful once the defenders had started to get tired. You know, once they were chasing Pasher around the field. And then he didn't have to worry about having to be quick. He didn't have to worry about sprinting. He was able to use more of his brains than his brawn. Uh, if he's coming in at a starting forwards wage, that's uh, not great. Uh, and, and I think that they would be better off spending that money elsewhere in the roster. Uh, he has a role. I mean, there, there's something that he can do. He can contribute. But I, I think Kelly and the team both need to understand that he's just not going to be the guy to go 90 minutes. He is not going to be the guy that can line up next to somebody and consistently bang in goals or set up assists. He's just not going to be that guy. And so it all depends on how his role is set up and, and money and elsewhere. But I just get the feeling that you could probably find someone like him, but a little more athletic, uh, a little more capable of beating a defender one-on-one uh, and at a lower price point than what you're going to pay for Kelly. And I think for Kelly too, you know, if you're, if you're Dane and you realize that, you know, you, you're coming towards the end of the peak of your career, there's probably a better opportunity for him to get more minutes anyway. Uh, he may not have the same, you know, title chances as he will with Indy, but I think he would have a better opportunity to play more minutes, to start more games and do things elsewhere. So, Unless both sides have a clear agreement, it just doesn't seem like a good fit. No, I can uh, I can definitely agree with that. Um, I I just for me, um, 
and maybe this is just me seeking out to be have unpopular opinions or not at least not common opinions. For me, I like Never. the signing. I <laughs> I like the signing. I like him coming back. But for me, the four position and and part of this is I want to see how Illich does when he comes back and if he gets healthy. But they need more technical ability at that position. I think you saw Tyler Pasher get stretched and get played and get, you know, he got just put into positions that he could thrive in. But you need a guy that can borderline sit even a little bit deeper than a traditional forward and help bridge that gap from and bring the ball out of the midfield. I don't know who that is. I don't know what kind of role that is. But I think uh, if you're going to have a Dane Kelly and a Tyler Passion, what we might see is a forward pairing brought back. Maybe not as consistent, but a forward pairing brought back of Dane Kelly and Tyler Pasher. Um, So we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I do feel like that if you bring back Dane Kelly, you are hopefully going to get better numbers. But in reality, you, you still need to take the time to push and put into play a more technical sounded uh, forward in order to get the most out of your poachers, if you want to call them that. Yeah, and that's not to say that, that Kelly's a bad teammate or a bad guy, because he absolutely isn't. I mean, he, he took, you know, going from the expectation of being, you know, the next USL Messi to, you know, essentially fulfilling a role of super sub, and he took it in stride. And he did his part, and he it wasn't for a lack of trying or anything else. But I, I just think, you know, when you look at roster building, the defense, you could still use some depth in the defense. Um, midfield is pretty solid, but for forwards too, not only do you need depth in defense, but there has got to be, you know, to be rude, but younger, hungrier, more athletic, you know, better fit for the system players than someone who we saw struggle for, you know, eight or nine months just to consistently put the ball in the net. And it's not as though he didn't have chances. He led the league in big missed chances in the you should have scored this but didn't chances. So I would be interested to see how he does. Maybe he has a bounce back year, but I just feel as though it can be better invested elsewhere. Definitely. Um, so based on how we're recording this, we got to have to awkwardly take a pause here. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about the stadium. We're going to talk about that Indie Star article from uh, James Briggs and uh, just generally – uh, get some thoughts about where we are when it comes to 11 parks. So, uh, uh, weirdly, this is going to sound weird. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, one of the other topics we wanted to hit tonight um, revolves around um, Eleven Park and the soccer-specific stadium that Indy Eleven are in pursuit of. Um, and uh, recently, there hasn't been much news itself on the stadium. Um, 
there's been, you know, the common rumblings you hear when it comes to business developments like this, where it's, you know, we're looking at a few different sites, um, whatnot. Uh, but one of the bigger things that came out recently was an article uh, on the Indie Stars website. I don't know if it got published in the paper itself, but it was written by one of their writers, James Briggs. Um, and in the article, he talks about how, you know, Indy 11 doesn't need a, a stadium. Um, and it kind of ties into Charlotte, North Carolina's bid for uh, Major League Soccer and whatnot. And um, it, it's a very, I, I encourage people to go to Indy Star's uh, website, read the article, uh, have an opinion for uh, yourself. But it's actually a very interesting article. Um, because it talks a lot about, you know, the, the fact that they're pursuing a stadium, a very expensive, big stadium, um, even though they're not really guaranteed Indy 11's really not guaranteed major league soccer. So, um, Richard, I hate, I hate bringing this up just because, you know, it's, it's a difficult topic because ever typically a lot of people have, you know, one swing, uh, one opinion swinging one way or another. But first, um, what was your re- initial reaction? Let's tie in a weird thing, but what was your initial reaction when you heard that Charlotte, North Carolina was going to be the new, newest Major League Soccer expansion side? Meh. I think that pretty much sums it up. I, I, I mean, I, I'm at the point now where, you know, when we were in NASL and, you know, the league's on the brink of collapse, you know, every Tuesday for a month. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of sit there and you're like, man, I really wish we could get MLS because what we want is stability, right? And and that's really what we're after. And, and seeing, I think, the direction that USL is going, um, seeing the exposure that Indy has, seeing, you know, the stadium bill that's been passed, and, and just I, I think everything that's possible as remaining a USL team, and then you have to stop and consider the fact that, you know, they didn't pay $200 million like what Indy was prepared to do. They paid, I think it was, what, $325 million just to get in I'd the club? I'd have to go back and look. You would think they would keep that stuff consistent, but of course not. No, of course not. And so now the new benchmark is going to be over $300 million. And, you know, this was a point that I made during one of our first episodes, which was, you know, what could you do for soccer in Indiana? What could you do for Indy 11? How could you set yourself up if you took that $300 million, $300 million, and invested it into the club itself instead of just a league entry fee? You know, just just think about what is possible with $300 million and just what you would be able to do and, and the different things that you would be able to have that really, I think, bring soccer to the forefront of the Indiana sports landscape. And, you know, the higher that price goes, the more it just doesn't seem worth it for Indy to continue to pursue, you know, joining MLS in its current structure. So for Charlotte, I mean, I I feel for the independent fans. I know that, um, you know, we're dear friends with the soccer goose, uh, Ben, over there in Charlotte. And, you know, there's been struggles for years with the independents and really getting them off the ground. So I wish them well, and, and, and I hope that everything works well for them. But in terms of Indy 11, you know, I, I just, I, I don't miss it. And, 
And I think that as long as these fees remain ridiculously high, Indy's better off staying where they're at. I, not that I was seeking anything to disagree with you, but it's hard to really disagree with anything that you said. I think especially, because my mouth apparently fills up with saliva, um, I think especially this season and this offseason, we have definitely seen a normal offseason, which I don't think fans of Indy 11 have have begun to experience. Um, I actually noticed this uh, this afternoon on the day that we're recording. It's January 5th on the day we're recording. Ha ha! Breaking fourth walls. Um, but it is actually the two-year anniversary of the day that the team officially announced that they were joining the United Soccer League. Um, and what what occurred was... After after the fact, we saw the rush of the roster, guys get signed and everything else. But what we've seen from that standpoint and that moment on is stability. Um, and that's not a word that a lot of Indy 11 fans were thought they would ever get used to. Um, obviously, the team pursued a Major League Soccer expansion spot while they were still in uh, the North American Soccer League. Um, if I, at the time, and I think I had this opinion at the time that seemed much more of a, Hey, local government. Cause they were also one of the multiple times that they were pursuing a soccer specific stadium financing bill through the Senate state Senate and the state, uh, uh hearing members. I don't even know what I'm saying, but, uh, I very much saw the major league soccer bid at the time to be a, Hey, look, we're trying to be bigger than we actually are. Give us money. But regardless from the moment two years ago, when the league joined the United soccer league, um, and said, Hey, we want to make a choice to move to a more stable league. What we've seen is this team go from will they exist? What league are they playing in every offseason to we now are with a roster that has 12 world class quality players for this country? Um, we've seen them uh, set trends and set, uh, you know, big goals and big uh, accomplishments by spending money on transfer fees. Um, and I, I don't know if we would have ever seen that if, you know, hypothetically a North American soccer league would have stayed around and the team stayed around there. Um, I think when it comes to the stadium, the problem I have is the goal of joining major league soccer, major league soccer to me is major league soccer by name only. And what I mean by that is, you know, Major League Baseball is Major League Baseball by name and the fact that they are, you know, the top professional league. Um, they obviously have a farm system and everything else. The NBA is the same way. The NFL is the same way. Though they're, The NFL is a little bit closer to a professional soccer sense in this country than any of the other major sports. But for me... I have always seen Major League Soccer as the top league and the top, you know, professional league in this country by name only. 
um, by the fact that it's very easy for a casual fan to see Major League Soccer as the top league opposed to trying to understand what United Soccer League means. But regardless, uh, I don't think that Indy 11 needs to join Major League Soccer. I think their pursuit was very much motivated by having it be a thing that they could use as ammunition to get the stadium. Um, And when the bill got passed without the provision, I think they cooled their aggressive pursuit of it because they realized that their capital, uh, both political and actual, could be used towards the stadium itself. I think the problem is um, you have people and the people that sign the checks for these owners have a much easier time comprehending that their money. And and if you're owning a soccer team in this country, you're not in the business to make money, period. Uh, Sorry. I think some some of the owners, like obviously Lansing's owner, uh, had this misconceived notion that he was going to make money. Rarely, if ever, does a owner actually make money. But the Major League Soccer thing was obviously something that was going to help with that avenue. I I just think it's going to take time for people in this state to really begin to understand why, while Major League Soccer is significant, USL can also be just as significant. And I think it, it has to be from a avenue of not getting, and I'm sorry, I, I'm just dropping hot take after hot take here, Richard, so feel free to jump in. Um, I do very much feel like uh, people are incredibly butthurt and incredibly sensitive about people who, uh, in this state, that don't have the opinion that soccer is great and wonderful or don't have the opinion that uh, Indy 11 is this big popular thing when in the fact that they're not in ma- if they were in major league soccer, local media outlets would cover it like wildfire. But I feel like, you know, fans and stuff like that do get incredibly easily offended by the fact that, local media doesn't cover the team because, and when they do, it's in a negative light because it's not major league soccer. Yeah. And I think a few things there, right? You know, I kind of went on a monologue, so sorry about that. (laughs) No, but the, the early stadium pushes, you know, really came about because their focus was major league soccer. Right. And, and that's why some of the, some of the design elements of the stadium, you know, the capacity of the stadium, you know, all of that was built with their MLS bill, with their MLS bid in mind. You know, with Charlotte getting that spot, with the new updated three hundred plus million dollars ice tag, you know, all of those things that have kind of transpired, I, I think in the in the ownership group would be very wise to take a step back and really kind of take a look at it. Because the best thing that ever happened to Indy was Louisville building Butchertown. And seeing the fact that Louisville City, this team that plays in a city that's a similar size, a similar media market to Indy, they play in the same league, you know, um, this team that's had success in the league, you know, and and they're building a stadium uh, to fit USL. You know, and and they're building a stadium that works for them, and and they're able to get it done. And so I think 
seeing that because you never saw it in in NASL. You know, you never saw a team that was building a stadium, let alone a stadium that fit the league that they were in. So they took a look at Louisville and, and decided, you know, let's let's kind of take a step back. Let's see what we can do here. Uh, I, I I agree with the premise of some of the stars' points. I, I agree with some of the conversation that I've heard. You know, does Indy 11 need its own stadium? No. You know, there is a multi-purpose stadium that is in downtown. You know, if if we had to look at an ideal situation, wouldn't it be that Lucas Oil Stadium could be used for the team? You know, where else are they going to build in Marion County that is in a better location, that is serviced by more transit, that has, you know, hotels and restaurants and bars and everything else within the distance, that allows fans from all across the city join in one central location? I don't think you're going to find a better spot. But, and this is what gets often missed by some of the stars reporting, and I think it's what fans have a complaint about, the CIB doesn't seem to be interested. And when you have a government or a quasi-government agency in charge of the stadium that just doesn't seem interested in helping the stadium really be a multi-purpose facility, you know, they they won't get rid of the football lines. They, you know, refuse to, um, you know, work when it comes to scheduling or, or anything else. You know, they put in the 11 games at the bottom of the list when it comes to priority it leaves the team no other choice but to pursue that avenue. So it's kind of one of those, is 11 Park necessary? No, but also yes in the current climate. Well, and the article I wrote, that's kind of what I was going for, though I don't know if it got conveyed that well. I, you hit the, again, God, you're just stealing words out of my head, but you hit the nail on the head in the fact that I don't believe the team needs a soccer-specific stadium. And part of the issue is we don't know all the facts. We don't know the discussions that go on. Um, I have not even made it abundantly clear who, to me at least, and if anybody listening wants to clarify, feel free to tweet us at no means soccer. I've never had the clarification of who was responsible for laying down the soccer lines on the field, even over like the spray lines over the field. I don't know if that is a CIB, Lucas Oil Stadium, a team-oriented thing. So part of this issue is we don't know all the facts about what goes into these discussions. Um, We don't know all the facts of year-to-year. If, you know, 2018 they had a one-year deal at Lucas Oil Stadium and then they signed another deal in 2019 for 2019 and 2020, or if they waited and did a two-year deal in 2018, or maybe this is all in one year. The frustrating thing for me, and this goes back into tying into the Charlotte, North Carolina thing, is the Bank of America Stadium is where, hypothetically, David Tepper, who is going to be the owner of this Major League Soccer team in Charlotte, um, that is where his team that he owns in the NFL the Carolina Panthers play. Uh, but then also that is where uh, the MLS team uh, plays. And that is a publicly owned building. So, um, and, and I've been following their local media coverage and whatnot, but, and let me, 
let me put a pause on what I'm about to say to say this. This is not me saying that they, the city or the state or anybody has to go, all right, Ursul, here's a $100 million check. Go make Lucas Oil Stadium soccer friendly. That's not what I'm saying at all. But Tepper got cut, albeit in a very fishy way. He got cut a pretty sizable check by the local government in Charlotte, in and around Charlotte, with the goal of them basically funding this soccer altercation to the actual stadium. That's the thing that kind of blows my mind is, and I'll be at um, uh, the Seattle Sounders obviously play uh, in the same stadium as the Seattle Seahawks. But that is a publicly owned building, I believe. Um, and that one is made, typically made in soccer friendly. Um, obviously Atlanta United Stadium, uh, is the same, uh, stadium as the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Blank owns both teams. That is actually a privately owned building. But that's the thing that has always frustrated me is yes, the team doesn't need a stadium. No sports team needs a stadium. No sports team needs a publicly built stadium. But when you kind of cut off the legs of having any ability to actually do things inside the stadium that are more friendly to the sport, and this is coming from a place where Lucas Oil Stadium has been altered to host monster truck rallies, has been altered to host, you know, Magic the Gathering tournaments and like Gen Con and all that stuff, you could probably afford to alter the field and put down soccer-friendly lines for the same amount that you are by filling in the entire place with dirt. So, so, so they, on that note, right, I'm not sure if you're aware, they replaced the turf uh, the year Indy started playing in there. <laughs> they could have replaced the turf with the same technology that they have in Atlanta with a little Zamboni-type machine that will erase one line and then put down more. They didn't. And, and the CIB, you know, they are just not interested in having it as a true mixed-use facility. They are fully content with it being the Indianapolis Colts Stadium. And then they have one-off events here and there that they host. Um, but they're perfectly content with it being the Colts and only the Colts. They're just not interested in it being an actual shared public field stadium. And it's a shame. It really is because it, it could be a, a real good stadium for soccer if they would just invest in it. Oh yeah, I think it could be a great venue for soccer. Um, I think we saw a ton of potential when uh, Chelsea and Milan played. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, where that was the first. I think that was the first professional game that was hosted in the city. Um, so we saw the. We've seen the potential. We really have. But I think what I why I wanted to bring this topic up was the pursuit for the stadium is not necessarily a a need that the team has trying to accomplish, but it's more of a this is kind of where we're at and this is kind of what we're having to do and we really kind of need to get it done. So what I'm hoping we see is um pretty shortly into the season we see a venue announced because I think it's going to become increasingly frustrated if uh, 
it it isn't something that is pushed more aggressively um because i think especially considering that all these USL championship teams and along with Louisville and i even wrote in that article i wrote about the fact that i'm like look copy what Louisville is doing and don't go after the 20,000 seat stadium that everyone knows you're not going to fill. And I'm sorry, the team's never going to fill a 20,000 seat stadium for a USL championship game period. Do you, do I think that if they hosted uh, international friendlies, they could fill that probably, but you don't bank that when you're building a stadium, build like a 10,000 seat stadium, 10, 15, 12, 13, whatever, Build that and build it in a way that allows you to expand it eventually. And you're not only going to allow these naysayers to have not much ground to stand on, but you're going to give yourself a little bit more modest approach where when the team, because I really do feel like when it moves to a different stadium and uh, because we saw this when it moved from the mic to Lucas Oil Stadium, from NASL to USL, we saw a bump in attendance. I do feel like, depending on the location, when they move to another venue, they're going to see another positive bump in uh, attendance. And then, hypothetically, they move to Major League Soccer, they're going to see another bump in attendance. So play to those numbers and build outward from there. But trying to push this big, beautiful stadium... And I'll, I'll even say it out loud, too. It very much seems like Ursaul's trying to be the next Jim Ursay in town, and that's just not going to work. So build modest, grow with what you have, and you'll end up having much more success than trying to build a 20,000-seat stadium that's going to not play well, I feel like, eventually. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, I mean, if any city is going to be able to support a USL championship team long-term, it's the, the city whose AAA baseball team is consistently ranked as the one with most attendance in all of minor league baseball. Exactly. It's the one that supports minor league hockey. You know, it's the one that consistently supports NCAA and, and, you know, junior sports and all of these things. And as much as we try to shy away from the minor league soccer label, you know, if anyone is going to be able to support a Peter two, you know, division two soccer team and make it into a profitable, successful, stable, long-term venture. It's going to be the city of Indianapolis because that, that, that's just what we're able to do. You know, yes, we have the Colts and the Pacers for the longest time, right? Indianapolis was known as, you know, the, the best amateur sports town in the United States, you know? And so I think Ursaul just needs and, and the ownership group, we set your expectation, you know, exactly like you said, you know, you don't need a glacial palace that's going to, you know, shine a light into the night. You, know, you don't need 20, 25,000 seats in your stadium. Build something that you know is going to make you profitable. Build something that you know, if you build a 15,000 seat stadium, you're going to be able to attract the national team, whether it's men's or women's you're going to be able to attract some international games. You're going to be able to start to bring things into town that bring interest into soccer and that bring people to the stadium and bring people to the sport. But you got to have it first. And, and if you keep pursuing these dreams that nobody else in the city seems like they're on board with but your fans, that's what they're always going to be. They're going to be dreams. And, and I hope 
that you're able to pull it off. I, I, I wish nothing but the best. And I hope that we're able to get the 20,000 seat glass front, super nice stadium. But I got a feeling, just a feeling <laughs> that we may need to, yeah. And, and one interesting thing, you know, if you look at it, Phoenix Rising is an interesting case of a team that has put out an MLS bid, you know, a, again, a similar, similar size city, maybe a little larger than Indianapolis. Um, and Phoenix Rising built a modular stadium. They have a shovel ready site on, right next door for an MLS size stadium, should they get the bid, but they decided to build a modular stadium so their team had at home. They didn't have to work out awkward arrangements or anything else. They got the land, they got the area secured, and then they built the stadium that would make them profitable while waiting for MLS to say, you're in, before they made that type of investment. And, and that's, that seems like not a bad way to go. Not at all. Um, and I think that's the thing that's kind of blown my mind. It's the fact that, um, and I don't think, I think you have to balance it because I don't want to see the team settle for less than what they're wanting, but you also have to be realistic with the fact that this town is still not have has wow words are difficult has still not forgotten um, where it's come from and in the fact that Lucas Oil Stadium, which is this big beautiful multi-purpose venue, is arguably the worst uh, tax-related investment. Um, money wise uh ever so um obviously from where it's come from indianapolis has certainly not forgotten about that and i think from a pr standpoint i think the team needs to be caring more about that because i do feel like any of those fringe i'll go to one or two games maybe because it's fun and i can go drink beer with my friends and we won't really pay attention to the game those guys, you're going to always have your core supporters, but those guys are the people you should really be pushing for or at least make some kind of effort. And I feel like from the outside looking in, um, it's just the negative, especially coming from me when I kind of covered the beat of the stadium when it was going through the bill process, the amount of people that just outright hate any time any tax money is used, it's... Play to the audience, know your audience, know the city that you're trying to build in, and just understand that uh, you can make things look a little bit better if you don't try to go with the most expensive thing on the market. And it, it, it doesn't hurt to maybe simplify your funding explanation. Because the number of times I read through Twitter comments, which is always an enjoyable thing to do. Oh, yeah. The Dangerous, but enjoyable. I read Right. And the number of times I read through Twitter comments and I see people arguing back and forth about the different finer points of the funding proposal, how no new taxes, but this person wants the money that would have been raised through taxes to, you know, go to this. And, you know, then Broad Ripple High School was brought up and people wanted that spot used for something else. And it, it, it just, I think things need to be simplified. I think there needs to be different messaging sent out, um, but I think there also needs to be consistent messaging sent out. You know, you're embarking on an adventure that I think is bigger than what you realize, and so you need to be out there. There needs to be something. 
we need to understand, you know, even if it's a simple Twitter update saying, hey, I'm on my way to go talk to Governor Abbott or, you know, you know, I'm on my way to the mayor's office to go discuss the funding proposal or this side or that side. It gives us an understanding that, okay, work is being done. Right. And, and people are working on it and there's steps that are being made. And it's not just a, oh, hey, here's this proposal. Here's this thing. Don't worry about it. It's not going to cost you a dime. And then you don't say anything about it until months and months and months later. You know, so the city needs to do a better job of, I think, working with the team to get them something that reasonably fits their needs. I think the team needs to do a better job of working with the city and understanding the situation and the audience better. And everybody just needs to figure out where this team is going to go long term and get it there. And let's just be adults and get it done. Agreed. Um, yeah. So do you want to try to squeeze in here the uh, uh, Sandy, who is one of our loyal listeners? Um, send us in a question. Uh, what do you hope to see? Uh, we're switching gears. Let's talk about the schedule. So, um, if you're listening right now, the day this is going to get published, uh, the schedule will be out on Thursday, the eighth, I think. Is that the eighth? Let me check real quick. It's the ninth. Ninth. Um, it will be out Thursday, the ninth. That is very much confirmed. So Sandy on Twitter said, what do you hope to see or not see in terms of this year's schedule compared to last year's? And he bets on when and uh, it will be released. It will be released on Thursday. But let's uh, spend a few minutes here. Richard, um, the Miami FC is back in the same league as Indy 11. And that not only means well, a former NASL rival will be uh, back in the same conference as Indy 11, but uh, Dylan Mayers is going to be uh, uh, playing against Indy 11. Um, first, what was your reaction to, uh, Miami joining United soccer league and B, um, are you excited to see Dylan Mayers, even if it's going to be on a different team? Well, you know, it's always good to see more Macron kits in the league. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like you see enough of those. Um, yeah, it, so seeing Miami again, I mean, it's good that we see teams that we have history with, you know, um, games against Tampa Bay Rowdies, games against, um, you know, other teams that we have played with in other leagues. Uh, those games tend to be, you know, a little more intense. There's a, there's a little more history there. The fans are, are more invested. Uh, Miami FC is a great organization. They're well-run. They're well-funded. You know, the owner is not afraid to, to put some players together. Uh, and, and it'll be good to see, see Dylan there. I, I hope he scores a lot of goals against everybody but Indy. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my wish. Uh, I, I hope he has a two-game drought, uh, and that is against Indy 11 home and away. And other than that, I, I hope he's successful. He's, he's a great guy. He was good for us here in Indy. He's done really well in Miami. And it's good to see a player of his caliber get brought back to the division he belongs in instead of having to play in that sort of limbo that a lot of those teams were facing. Um, the main thing that I would like to see, and, and I don't know about you, uh, I would like to see Indy not have to go through a month-long road trip. That would be God, fantastic yes. if it would be a lot more balanced when it comes to home away splits. 
because it was weird. We saw a lot of days off early on in the year. We would see one or two weeks without a game. And then we get to this weird spot in, you know, the end of the season where we're having to play two or three games a week and they're all on the road and you have, you scratch your head and go, why couldn't we have played this earlier in the year? So I, I would like to see a more balanced schedule and something that puts a lot less pressure on, I think, the rotation element of the roster. God, I had kind of blocked out of my head that horrific, what was it like? I feel like it was seven game road trip. Maybe it was the last. It was, I don't know. It was something. It, it felt it was ridiculous. Like whether it was or not, I don't know. But yeah, it was um, just crazy. Yeah, no, I had totally blocked that out of my memory, which I'm sure none of the players have been able to since then. Um, I think you uh, nailed it because I do feel like, um, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording. I think what uh, what's great about Miami joining USL uh, for USL is the fact that uh, Miami joining, they're already an established brand um, in the league and in the country for U.S. soccer. You have an owner that's willing to spend money, and that's not to say that owners that don't want to spend money on their rosters are bad, but when you can get that and you can get both an established brand and an owner that's willing to spend money on their roster, you know, that's kind of a uh, uh, twofer that you don't normally get. Um, But I think it's great. Uh, I was ecstatic when it happened. I, like most people on Twitter... Uh, my jaw hit the floor. I was absolutely shocked that they had moved over there, um, especially considering when you realize that they they moved over on the license that Ottawa Fury sold them. Um, and all all things kind of point to the fact that um, I hope at least Ottawa is going to end up joining the Canadian Premier League. Um, yeah, but regardless. Miami joining's great. Um, I agree with you. I hope Dylan uh, scores a hundred goals um, and uh, never scores on Indy. Um, but I I do think that he is he is the type of player that when um, that 2016 season where he really thrived, I was one of those people that I was like, man, he really needs to be in Major League Soccer. Because his ability to float up and kind of play that half-winger while also cutting in on the inside and just always being in a perfect spot, it's such an underwritten skill set for his position and his age, and I was absolutely thrilled for him. So I'm, I'm very excited to see Miami back in the league and back into a bigger league. Um, that's going to get obviously more publicity and their brand uh, is going to be great for everybody to rub off on. Yeah. And I'm very encouraged to see professional soccer actually come to the city of Miami. So, you know, that's, that's going to be good. You know, it's a big market and uh, it'll be nice for them to fight with uh, inter Fort Lauderdale. So that (laughs) would make an interesting open cup uh, matchup. Um, yeah. So Richard, we got a few more minutes here. Tell the people where they can find you online. Well, you can find me online at tweet by Richard. Uh, obviously I'm here at no means soccer. Uh, occasionally people will make the mistake and have me, uh, guest on other podcasts as well. Uh, <laughs> so you'll find, you'll find if you follow me on Twitter, I'll tweet out those as I make appearances, but yeah, just, uh, 
that you hit me up online and uh, look forward to chatting with y'all. Uh, yeah, you were on uh, USL Aces recently? Semi-recently? Yeah, I was on U- USL Aces. Uh, every now and then when they get desperate, I get on USL show. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at soccer with Brian at no means soccer. Um, we got some really cool stuff. We're working with some really cool people, um, in the near future. So 2020 is going to be really exciting. We're back and we're very excited to be back underway. So thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, yeah, come on you boys in blue.